Welcome to Man of Making. I am Rajan Shankar with Rokas. Hello, Raj. I'm not going to try to pronounce your name. <laughs> One day I'm going to get it. Stas. Stasolitis. Stasolitis. <laughs> Episode number 98, and I just learned. <laughs> last uh, anyway. Welcome to the show. Uh, really grateful for all the downloads and listens and all the engagement. Last week, we asked some questions uh, sort of right before recording. So we've got a bunch of those compiled and we're going to fire them off. Before we go into anything, I just want to remind everyone, uh, if you haven't yet purchased Everything is Your Fault, the book I recently published, go ahead and go to Amazon and check it out. I think the uh, there's a digital version, an EPUB, and there's we're working on an audiobook now. So a lot of options out there. And uh, please let me know what you think. Leave a review, whatever kind of review. There was a review of the podcast, Rokas, that I saw a few weeks ago on Apple iTunes, I think, or somewhere. From who? I don't know. It was anonymous. Oh, okay. It was a really great review. It wasn't like the show is amazing or anything. It said, um, they are trying. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. They are trying. <laughs> and then they went on to say, sometimes they ramble, but a lot of the episodes have amazing content. So I thought that was, I thought that was yeah. a great review. Because it was so honest and, and specific. But yeah, if you're if you're if you're listening out there, get ready for us to ramble because that's what we do here. It's just one big ramble. Uh, happy to be at ninety eight episodes in, almost twenty thousand downloads in. Um, so there's if if they're not bots uh, downloading, <laughs> then they're actual humans. <laughs> From what, like 30 countries now? Time's up by like three, at least. Oh, wow. I think about 90 different countries now, yeah. That, that's cool. So we are global, and uh, we have a special guest in the studio. My father is uh, joining us from Chicago, um, but he probably doesn't have anything to say. <laughs> um, all right. So the first question, I'm enjoying your book and wondering how once living the ascetic life, how the transition away from that has been for you. That's a, and, and uh, thank you for that question on Twitter. That, that's a typical, typical question I get. What's the transition like? So, I mean, in, in short, it's been amazing. It's been great. Uh, I'm glad I, I left. Uh, in the words of Satyanada, who we've had on the show, the, my former brother monk in uh, Brazil, uh, I made two really good decisions in my life. One of them was going into the monastery. The other great decision was leaving. So the transition has been pretty smooth. Um, thanks to my family first landing in Texas and getting a, a cell phone and a bank account with my brother-in-law to working at NASA and becoming a father and um, becoming a better uncle and a better son to my parents. Yeah, it's been a real joy. And one key thing I think to note is that I, it, I, I always say I enjoy freedom. It's nice to be free. And then people say, well, weren't you free already? And that's true. I was free. However, what I have now is liberty. So I didn't have liberties before. And the difference between freedom and liberty is that we're, we're all free, but, but not everyone has as many liberties or options to act freely uh, and enjoy certain things. So my liberties were uh, restricted. And so to have liberty along with freedom is, 
um, a miracle. It's a, it's, it's a, a chance to enjoy life to its fullest. And I think I'm doing that. Okay. Um, I think the other questions were from, I hope I answered that uh, well enough. So I'll give you the question from Facebook then. Sure. Thank you. A question from Debbie on Facebook. How to cope with feelings of loneliness in a seemingly perfect life and how to understand these feelings and use them for personal growth rather than run away from them. Can the feeling of loneliness be useful in finding contentment? Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing question and a reflection. It almost answers itself within itself. It's like, how do you deal with loneliness? Well, you can use loneliness as a technique of understanding yourself better, uh, finding contentment, you can, so you can, you use the loneliness, if, if, if they use that moment to get into Zen and to get into uh, self-reflective, you use it as a self-reflective modality. Loneliness is a part of the spiritual path. It's a part of the path. It's part of life. I... I mean, from personal experience, I used loneliness to my advantage by, uh, it's hard to say, but I was lonely for a period of time in the monastery and I was depressed and I went through this painful experience that I often write about and talk about. And um, I miss part of that. Um, I miss part of that darkness. So, so. And, and it's possible I, I have such a positive outlook on negative things that I, I turned it into something special. I turned that feeling into something uh, akin to self-discipline, self-mastery. Uh, I used that time to, to read, to read about other people in history going through similar things. I use those times to learn. So I think, I think Debbie's kind of already knows the answer because she's saying it in the question. And I think what I want to know is what is left or what is missing to link that loneliness to uh, spiritual motivation or uh, Zen, because yeah, there's an other side of the whole question is there really doesn't have to be loneliness. It doesn't really have to exist. You can always occupy your time with something or nothing. And Zen is the nothing part. So if she's asking the question, she's already on the path, obviously, the way it sounds like she knows what she's talking about. So she just needs to probably redefine loneliness or stop using that word and turn it into a, a, her meditation practice or that time of the day. That's my suggestion. You think I missed any part of that question or is there something that's kind of lacking? What would you say, Roka? In terms of question, I think you answered it, but I'd just like to go more in depth on some things you said. So firstly why depression why were you going through that um so that that is part of the the path of dissociating with ego and losing identification with yourself i i started to not understand who i was anymore and i thought i knew who i was so i thought that i was you know spent all these years working on myself and yet, I still had not released identification with ego. And so when ego came back up and it flared back up, I thought, this is not supposed to happen, you know, and, and that causes conflict with yourself. And the other part of that is, if you meditate every day for a long, for, for years, 
you start to uh, have this friction with daily reality and other people. And that if you do intense meditation, which I was doing, and uh, purposefully trying to lose identity with ego. So if you do that and you start to lose yourself, you will experience depression. You will experience uh, a type of sadness and loneliness, loneliness because you look at yourself in the mirror and, and you don't understand anymore who you are or what you're supposed to do. And interestingly, I was just talking about my dad kind of about that the other day. Young people are going through that naturally, I notice. They just don't know who they are. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And they're losing this identity. They're having this identity crisis. And um, just like the loneliness thing, that's a special time. That's a, that's a time to go. You go through it. You don't, you know, it just doesn't just go away because you're aware of it. But, but you go through it consciously. And if you go through it consciously, you can start to uh, reap the benefits of being in the present moment. But that happens later. But you don't want to miss it. So that's kind of why. And why do you miss the darkness? You said that. I don't, I don't know. I think I was extremely focused. Uh, I didn't talk to anyone for about three months. I read an enormous amount of books in that time. I studied a lot. I meditated a lot. I exercised a lot. It was like my own personal training montage in my life. And it was real. And I realized it was real. And I watched it happening. And, and while it felt very painful, uh, I was making huge strides in all of these areas of intelligence and physical ability. Just, I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't social and I probably looked like I was going to kill you. But I was very happy at the same time. <laughs> uh, so I think a lot of people go through that, but they don't know, they don't look at it the way I did. I mean, that's why I identify with the book Musashi so much, uh, because it outlines so well that period that he went through for three years. And you come out the other end, if you come out the other end with that, with that path mentality, you become a better person. And uh, you become, uh, I think, who you're supposed to be. So coming out of an ident identity crisis is like, uh, swimming back to shore after almost drowning and um it's a very it's a very special thing it doesn't i don't think it happens many times in a lifetime if at all so dad have you ever had anything like that i'm not sure i, I what comes to mind is uh when i was young i to realize i was going to die and I looked in the mirror and started crying. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is intense. When I was young. So, yeah, when you first learned about death. Right. Exactly. Oh. Which would cause an identity crisis. Yeah. I, I, it, was, it was very uh, depressing. <laughs> but then you came out of it. I hope so. I guess you, you, well, we all have that at some point, but we forget about it. That's the difference between a philosopher and a normal person. A philosopher goes back into that, that experience regularly without like not necessarily the crying part because you reach another level of crying. But um, yeah, I think about death a lot and actually monks think about it a lot. Uh, it's kind of a motivating factor for becoming a monk. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can can reason it out if you 
if you know you're going to one day not exist, that begs the question, well, what happens? And thus you have all of the religious and spiritual theories manifest. If we, if we didn't die, we wouldn't ask the question probably. Well, we would ask what's the point, but we wouldn't ask where we're going. I imagine. But you don't, you don't hold the belief of uh, an afterlife. No. No. So there's no need to further ponder. Correct. <laughs> well, that makes things more simple. <laughs> <clears throat> what, what would you say about loneliness? Well, I'm not sure. You probably need more to do. Yeah, you have to have uh, find meaning for that. Yeah, lack of meaning. And, uh, have goals and aspirations and uh, a plan to try to um, deal with uh, where you're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost sounds like aimlessness. Um, so aimlessness... I will go back on what I said a little bit. Aimlessness is, if it's not focused, it's not really Zen. You're not really learning anything. So if you can, if you can convert that loneliness into focus on an object, on a, on a thing, on a, on a theory or philosophy, or even closing your eyes and paying attention to your breathing, and, and, and starting the preparation for meditation, you've then changed something. So you've converted the loneliness, you've, you've converted a feeling into an action, and, and you now are focused on something. That's, that's Zen. That's the idea. The redirection of, of awareness. So you don't want to just... Um, surround yourself by loneliness or loathing behavior and become a misanthropic, um, you know, wanderer um, for too long. You want to actually try to make inner progress. I, th I think that's how you turn it into contentment because then it comes back and it just it becomes an automatic reflex to move your awareness into your breathing and and start to um i mean just even using your eyesight and looking outside or looking up into the sky or looking at the city or whatever you have around you at that time um turn that into a reflective period and then there is no loneliness that that's I think that's how every philosopher would look at it. When talking about your time in solitude, you mentioned um, that it was painful. So was it directly the solitude or something else? That's a good question. It, uh, it's hard to describe. It was a psychosomatic pain. I think it was from my brain. I. Uh, um, I was felt like I was uh, insane and that everyone was against me. So I started to become like a, almost like a paranoid schizophrenic a bit. And I would hear things um, in my head and uh, like feel like my skin was, was on fire at times. And I remember one specific moment where I was like sitting in a corner, rocking back and forth, like a typical insane moment in a movie or something. And uh, sure enough, I was like doing that. And I, was, and I <laughs> really hope no one saw me do that because <laughs> it looked really weird but it was a coping mechanism for feeling my world collapsing in on me, basically. Um, so that was all uh, uh, psychological. It wasn't um, physically, you know, externally, nothing was happening. It was just a normal, uh, it was just a Monday, you know. 
Was that from a lack of human interaction? That could definitely be it. Um, in the period that I was in for two years in the monastery, lack of uh, knowing what was going on um, in social circles and talking to people. And I don't know if I was eating much. Um, it's, I mean, and I, since I'm a mystic, I look at it from a mystical lens as well. I think I can go back and forth, like from a physical perspective, it was definitely some sort of uh, psychosomatic reaction going on. But from a mystical level, that was brought on by intense periods of meditation and uh, working with your guru, um, who, was, who was on the inside. Um, and who's doing that, helping you go through that by, um, you know, turning up the heat a little bit with his own meditation and, and skills in that area. So I, I break both into, into both worlds, but I, I look at it mystically as well. It was supposed to happen. It was, that was why I was there. I think if you find, if you take someone away from society for long enough and put them through a schedule, uh, change their name, you know, change their clothes, uh, take them away from family and friends um, and, and reshape them and, and, and wash their brain a little bit with different philosophies and take, go, to take them through yogic ritual, uh, that individual will eventually go through a a period of, of identity crisis. Fair enough. Um, and was there another one? Oh. <clears throat> oh, there was actually one from my sister. Was that the other one you had? That was the only one I'd read on. Oh, it was? Okay. There was... My sister Rose said... This is a tough one. Uh... Can you talk about the veils between us and God? So this is purely a religious question. This assumes you believe in God. And I told her I would try to speak on it from a multi-religious perspective. So the veils between us and God, the, the, the veil in Christianity between you and God is, is uh, or any Abrahamic religion, is the uh, impurity that naturally occurs with a human form on, on earth. So believing, so Abrahamic religions believe that God is, is there's duality, right? God is separate from, from man and man is trying their best to, to be like God, um, to be in his image, in his likeness. But it's very difficult because we have, um, impure thoughts, uh, we want we think things that aren't aren't uh, divine or or godlike, and uh, we're we're sort of stuck. Maybe we judge others negatively. Maybe we blame blame people or things or things like that. And why God? We don't understand why things happen or things like that. So, uh, in the Abrahamic world, we have a a, a difficult time connecting with God and his plan. And the key is in that mindset um, to see everything for as, as purposeful, to see everything uh, for a reason. So if you can remember that in a difficult time, you remove the veil. You remove the separation between you and God's plan. And it's, it's very similar to Eastern thought in that everything happens for a reason. So in an in Eastern perspective, uh, the veil between you and God is uh, ego, emotion, desire, likes, dislikes, judging, all the same things, uh, except just the aspect of sin is the biggest difference in the Abrahamic side. You're, you're a sinner. It's just a natural thing in the Eastern side. You're perfect, but you've gotten trapped by ego. And so you need to remove ego 
or I mean, you should diminish ego to remove remove the veil between you and um, divinity. So that requires uh, self-reflection, meditation, and, and the philosophical change, thinking that you don't need to blame other things. Try, try taking responsibility and um, see what you did wrong. I think both sides can agree to that. Both religious sides can, can work on responsibility. It's just, it's just the, the difference in, in thought is with perfection and sin. And Eastern side is perfection. You're, you're perfect. Uh, the uh, Western side is you're, you're born uh, a sinner. And that's, that's the difference. But we have the same veils, same veils. But in, in the Eastern religion, it's not about God's plan, that God doesn't have a plan. God is just simply acting out. Um, I guess it is a type of plan, isn't it? I don't know. It's weird. That's, that's difficult to think about. I can't even, I can't even put words on um, what it even means to create a universe and, and create souls for a time and then suck it back into yourself. I don't even know. But on a human level, on a Monday through Sunday level, <laughs> um, you've got to take some responsibility and remember that, that, well, on an Eastern side, God is not dictating what you do and what happens to you, number one. In an Abrahamic side for Christians, God uh, already did something for you by taking, uh, Jesus did something for you by taking your sins. Um, so um, stop, stop sinning. That's the idea. Stop, stop being less like him and, and stop judging. Uh, stop coveting things. Stop, uh, stop the, with the du dual nature, uh, but be more, you have to be more uh, saintly. Everyone can benefit from that idea. <clears throat> that's, that's difficult. It's interestingly enough, in Hinduism, uh, it mysticals, mystics believe that um, there's an actual veil between one world and another. And it's a type of screen. And the screen is like uh, saran wrap. Um, that's that clear wrap that you put on top of dishes before putting them in the fridge. So if you imagine that wrap is all wrinkly and foggy, and if you actually uh, step in water, surround yourself with gold or silver, or go near fire or smoke, that veil, that wrap is like pulled tight and it's very clear and it, it's easier to, to be seen in the inner worlds. I just always thought that was an interesting uh, thing that I read in our uh, monk um, books. But so, seen yeah. as in from only, only from one perspective. From the correct. outside into you, but not from you to the. That's correct. Yeah. So, literally, removing the veil or clearing up the veil between you and an inner world would mean you um, being around one of those or all of those elements, which is why a Hindu temple has water, fire, and smoke, and gold, and silver all around it. So you walk into a Hindu temple and you're walking into like a CCTV camera <laughs> uh, linked into uh, a monitor in, in another world. Interesting. 
and you can kind of feel it if you're kind of in tune you don't have to be uh, a devout religious person to feel something different when you walk into a temple it's really interesting and it almost feels like you're being watched it's really interesting when in the monastery we had this big uh, pond coming down from a waterfall from a lake no i'm sorry from a river well uh uh Waiale Ale river and uh it comes down the mountain and then it would go over a waterfall into this big pond like a it was an old lava tube and then it would go out another river and our that was our backyard basically and uh i'd go swimming down there and every time i was in the water i felt like something else was there and i was being watched it was so spooky i couldn't stay i i eventually could not swim there wow <laughs> it's like okay. i'm not going down there something's down there <laughs> but yeah so when in in a hindu temple they present to you fire and um you take the flame and you wave it in front of your eyes as you look into the fire and you're basically clearing up your image you know you go from like pixelated to uh, 4k high definition and i don't know it's just uh, i just always thought that was cool you know i don't know i don't know why that is uh that doesn't bother me um i don't know what is the purpose of wanting to be watched though? Yeah, that's an amazing question. Um, so they can help you. Oh. Yeah, like you're not alone. That's another thing about loneliness and, and Hinduism. It, it doesn't really uh, exist because you're, you're, you have like a, a guardian. I, I think they have that in Christianity too. You have like guardian angels. You have the same thing in Hinduism, the, um, people watching over you. In fact, in, in, uh, in the books, um, the really research manuals, um, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls, those are two books that uh, are the accounts of a uh, past life regressionist. I forgot his name, Michael something, but you can just Google it and it'll come up. Uh, past life regressionist who takes his clients in between worlds um, uh, in a in a hypnotic uh, type fashion, and he he documented like three hundred case studies where each patient um, says the same thing. They all say the same exact thing, <clears throat> and each chapter is like another part of the inner world experience after death such a such a good uh account um but the point is they all say that they're they're they have these guardian um beings and and these aren't from religious perspectives either these are just um normal people i'm sure some of them are religious but uh there's this guardian aspect someone assigned to look after you and why not I don't know. I guess I have a good imagination. None of this bothers me. None of it, like, like you know. I don't know. Why not? Yeah, I was talking about it with Arthur um, when he was here at our house. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, you can't just say these things without proving them. And but if it's a belief that can help you, then you might as well believe it. Yeah. If it's not harming what, anything anyone, if it's not harming you. And it's that's just what I said. beneficial. I said, why why not? You know? And I've had, man, I've had some weird experiences where where something happens and these other worlds, these other beings make themselves known. And I guess I guess you become a believer over time with enough experience. Now, if you don't have any different if you don't have any different feelings or experiences over, over time, uh, well then, yeah, maybe it's, it's not for you. I don't know. 
that's one major difference between Christianity and, and Eastern philosophy or Abrahamic religious thought. In the in Abrahamic thought, Christianity, um, especially, um, you spread the word of God. You know, becomes a mission, and different uh, denominations of of uh, Christianity have different missions. Um, you know, there's this, those that one sect or denomination that where the the two men. Uh, go off and walk around town and knock on everyone's door and talk about, I don't know if that's Latter-day Saints or something. Have you ever experienced that? No. Oh, well, in the U.S., there's a, a big thing where two guys go off on a mission for like two years or something before getting married. And they go and they spread the word of the church and the and God and everything. And it's just it's just a part of the religion to spread the word of god that's how you become more like him you know talk about i think jesus says in the bible like talk about my father and you will be welcomed in heaven or something like that and uh that's just part of the deal um but in in eastern philosophy you don't do that you don't you don't try to convince anyone of anything. It really doesn't matter. It makes no difference how many Hindus there are or who believes what. It's got nothing to do with anyone else. And uh, I always like that. I always really like that because it's so personal. But yeah, I agree with what you said. You know, if it's not hurting anyone, if it's not getting weird. Um, you know, if the voices in your head, um, are starting to tell you violent things, <laughs> then it becomes a problem. My good friend had that, uh, had voice, has voices in his head and, uh, was telling him to do things. And, and he thought it was somehow uh, religious and he, and he confided in me. And I said, that is not religious. That is not, uh, spiritual or mystical um that's a problem uh, spirituality and and um is, is is and and mysticism is based on um harmony love light upliftment it's like it's all good things if you're going through negative things Maybe those are, you know, negative forces, but that needs to be, you, you, need, you need to first, you know, make sure that you're safe. Um, I recommended going to see a doctor, anti, maybe taking some antipsychotics, stuff like that. Medication really can help if you're bipolar, schizophrenic, things like that. Um, you always want to at least try moderate applications of medication if, if if stuff like that starts to go too far that interrupts your life i mean in 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 other parts of the world they would say differently they would probably say you know go to the temple try to have a ceremony done things like that and that's all well and good too but yeah he didn't take my advice and, and i haven't spoken to him in a long time so that happens a lot. I got contacted by someone the other day um, who wanted to ask about yoga and meditation and things like that. And I was like, oh, this is great. But then it got weird. And they started to say that they do things uh, in other worlds. And where did it go it just the conversation you could tell it's just started to get real strange um and i was just like you know, i cut i cut that off because it, i i don't uh, i don't teach or i don't work in those areas it's just not what i've been trained in and and the monks um it just wasn't their interest wasn't their priority to deal with to learn about the occult, to learn about 
using the inner worlds to like do stuff in and things like that it just and if that's your thing that's cool but we just didn't see it as as any point there was no point no benefit it was just a waste of time i guess that's part of that ranting type uh thing that that guy was talking about <laughs> i know Ramble. my friend wrote a review it was like as a joke something like uh, I like what the monk guy says, but I'm not sure about the other guy. <laughs> either way, give a listen, like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I still remember I had a dream today that <laughs> um, I, this is the first time I've had a dream like this, that I was in the monastery with you. And yeah, there was a, I was on a, like a beautiful island and you were going to give me an induction on, yeah, how things work in the monastery. And there was like, <laughs> someone else there, so like someone around my age and you were going to give us both an induction. So yeah, that was, I don't know. I still remember that. That's <laughs> that was awesome. interesting. Yeah. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't know why, but yeah. there's some really cool things like that you know that are very personal people always want to know about dreams and stuff and and god the monks just did not care (laughs) carl jung carl jung was a you know carl jung yeah uh, um man super amazing brain on that guy and and heavy mystic he was super into dreams uh, and worked worked for years on dream books and and uh trying to get and people are trying to get answers that's what it comes down to what does this mean what does this mean i should do what does this mean is going to happen to me but it's like i don't know what does it matter uh i always like paramahansa yogananda's perspective uh he said astrology was made for man man was not made for astrology so in other words these are tools but they're not made to be like the main project of anything they're just tools you can take out little things along the way even like the monks one of the monks was a is a master astrologer right and that's like his main job in the monastery is to to look at people's astrology but he would rarely like uh, tell you anything about it. it. Only if you asked, because it, it just, it was, he didn't want you to start thinking about it. Like your astrology says um, you may have like a, a, a weird death, <laughs> but is that something that uh, you really want to know? I mean, I guess. And, and that's why I think, uh, I love the the five powers um, aspect of philosophy in, in Hinduism, which is creation, destruction, preservation, revealing, and concealing. So concealing is like the veil, like having a purposeful veil, not knowing, like uh, purposefully not knowing what happens after death, where we've come from, if there's any truth to anything like we, no one really knows, right? There's no camera that's entered someone's consciousness when they died and things like that. And I think it's for a good reason. Cause if, if, if we knew it's just things wouldn't really make sense. Like we were talking about last time, if you, if we were all enlightened, it would be like, what would be the point? Also, with astrology, some things can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you, my, one of my biggest self-fulfilling prophecies is, is success. That's, all, that's what I think about. How can I make this successful? That's what we want to prophesize. 
But anything else? Explain a bit more on that. Oh, well, success. I, I try to repeat success as, as if it's a, a, a chemical compound in my brain. Okay, continue. Well, you know, I believe in optimism and positivity and, and success. So I think, I think if you think about it enough, it, it just starts to happen with a little bit of, with hard work and determination. But I think <clears throat> I believe in the law of attraction. I believe in the law of, of thought and creating your own reality. And so I create success, just, just winning and more specifically thinking about it how uh seeing it in my mind like a movie uh like the end result okay like for example one of my goals is is uh, i'd like a boat i started to think about boats a lot when we were uh <clears throat> at the marina the other day with my cousin do you set a date for when you want to accomplish that no I don't like specifics uh, in that situa situation because then it forces you to uh, fit some kind of frame. And uh, I don't think that's how the universe works. Deadlines and specific dates for projects with other people and budgets, I get. But for this, this is different. This is, um, I'm trying to will it into existence and, and I don't want to kill myself in the process. So I just started to think about it. I'm like, you know what? I can see myself and my family on a small boat. I'm just like taking it out on the weekend and just having a jet ski or something. I can see that. It doesn't, it's not, uh, it doesn't, it's not so whimsical that it's, it's hard to think of. I can see it all happening. Just like the stuff in the stock market, how I play, um, certain things and, and why I invest in certain things. I can just, I can just see it working out well. And I don't know. I, I don't really put out, put much else into it with, with, um, but I, I do, I do that at work all the time. And people are like, are you so positive? And I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, what's the alternative? Like, uh, we, I was about to have an event. I was about to run a, an event with a coworker who has been traumatized by um, digital failings and like uh, digital problems with internet connections and things like that. So imagine you're trying to hold an event for like 300 people and a, a network connection goes bad on the main presenter's computer and the presentation fails, right? It's like a nightmare for someone who's a project coordinator. Um, and so she was like worried about it. And I was like, it's not gonna happen. Like, it's just not going to happen. We're gonna, we're gonna test everything. We're gonna run everything the best we can. And here's our backup. If it, if it happens, we'll do this. You know, and we'll recover in like, literally our backup was like eight seconds of recovery on another system. And I was like, that's not a big deal. Just, just laugh about it, you know, and, and, and say, hey, everyone, we're going to uh, have a quick transition and fix this presentation real quick. And that really gave her a lot of anxiety. Um, but we want to avoid that. We want to avoid um, that kind of thinking. If, if something's going to go wrong, then we have a backup. Uh, but we're not going to, you know, create the thing going wrong already just because it happened in the past. So it's her mind playing tricks on her. And um, the event went fine. I think there was like a small hiccup and it was like no one noticed except for us. So I don't know. You have to plan. You have to have a. Uh, you have to have a, a plan sometimes, and and have a backup. Don't be dumb or or uh, naive that everything's going to go perfectly. But even the backup is perfect. Like even the the thing that went wrong and having the backup for it and recovering that's perfect. So 
there's nothing to really worry about. So that's one way to be a, uh, look at success. Uh, that's one way I look at uh, just thinking about success. I was I was at a, another conference running running it, and and something was going wrong. It was in test in the testing phase, and something was going wrong. And and we were launching. We're going live the next day. This is at NASA, and uh, it, I was running it on my system, and I was like, it's just something real simple. This isn't a big deal. And one of the guys was you know, like, we're going to have to pre-work everything and this and that. And I was like, no, it's real simple. This is, it's like a click of a button. I'm pretty sure there's a setting that's off. It's real simple. And uh, he was ready to like, not sleep over it. And uh, I was like, just give me like 10 minutes. We haven't even, we haven't even troubleshooted this thing. The first thought, when something went wrong was, oh no, the whole system is going to go bad. And it's like, that's, that's not the first thought. The first thought is working backwards, checking your internet connection, not buying a new computer. So I learned that in the monastery when uh, I was working construction on how to troubleshoot. You don't, you don't think that the whole system is wrong. You just work backwards and look at the small things. Look at the easiest things first. And uh, chances are, it's just something real small. And sure enough, it was just some stupid setting. And I clicked the button and everything was perfect again. And that one button like controlled the entire system from running well. And uh, you waste a lot of energy with doomsday scenarios, a lot of energy. And I noticed that uh, people are wasting a lot of energy, staying up way too late on, on things. Uh, not achieving balance and then they're fried during the thing and you're like man I really wish I had a person who was at 100% capacity but I don't because they're not managing their energy properly so that's unfortunate uh, but it's hard to get through to some people because it really feels like you're succeeding when you're beating your head over the of wall and wanting to rebuild the entire system it feels like you're succeeding but you're not you're not you're making things worse because there's another presentation there's another job after this one and another this one this one this one um and you want consistency you want scalable success if you have to rebuild the entire system well we probably shouldn't be doing this doing presentations for a large number of people in the first place so if that were the case that'd be a whole other issue that has ramifications on a value hierarchy that I wouldn't even want to look into. But chances are, it's just a simple fix. I think that's true for everything. Yeah, anyway, that's how I think about things. Cool. I totally yeah. have anything to say. All right. Uh, well, thank everyone for listening. Uh, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the ramble. <laughs> and uh, maybe you got something from it. Please uh, engage, do something with us. Um, anything else, Rokas? Nothing for me. All right, everyone. Uh, I'll just have a question for you after. Okay. I hope everyone is remains happy and meditates a little bit and just um, don't sweat stuff. Life's just enjoy life. Agreed. <laughs>